CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for another edition of Political Rewind, the first Political Rewind in the month of April 2023. I'm Bill Nygut. Thanks for joining us. A busy, busy week in politics, as we all know, the Donald Trump uh, booking and arraignment comes up tomorrow afternoon. Wisconsin has that crucial Supreme state Supreme Court election, which may give us a real sense of how Wisconsin's politics are changing. We'll see about that and how that Supreme Court may end up ruling on issues as sensitive as the legality of abortion. Um, We're still uh, kind of processing what happened in the final hours of the legislative session last week. So we have a lot to talk about today and throughout this week on Political Rewinds. Why don't we get right to it and introduce the panel? Um, Patricia Murphy, my partner on the Monday show is with us. You know Patricia as a political reporter at the AJC. Also, um, she writes the Political Inside column, which appears on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper. And she oversees the jolt um, at AJC.com, which you got out really early this morning, Patricia. I I saw it quite early today. Yes, I was up very early. Um, Just because the legislature is not in session doesn't mean there's not any more news from the legislature. Um, And then, as you said, we have a big uh, news week this week and a lot of sorting out to do about what passed, what didn't pass in those waning hours. So we're still calling through it, Bill. Yeah, and we're going to talk a lot about that on the day today's show. And one of the people we're, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, I'm really looking forward to hearing from about this is a Representative Mary Margaret Oliver, Democrat, whose uh, seat is based out of Decatur. And of course, Mary Margaret, you have been one of the real champions of mental health reform. And I know that um, one of the things you're going to want to share with us are your feelings about the fact that this second year of the effort to really dramatically change the landscape for mental health in the state uh, failed. So I'm awfully glad you're with us today, Mary Margaret. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. There were many champions for mental health, many champions who are mourning the loss of another opportunity for moving forward. We'll talk about that and what may come next. Um, as we move forward on the show today. We're also joined by Kendra King-Mammon, who is, of course, political science professor and an associate provost at Oglethorpe University. How are you, Kendra? I'm doing great this morning. How's everyone? I think we're, we're all pretty good, I think. Um, how about you, Edward Lindsay, former state representative, now the head of government affairs for Georgia at Denton's Edward the world's largest law firm. Good morning, Edward. Good morning. And uh, like the rest of the folks here, I'm still uh, recovering from uh, Sandy Dye. But, uh, but uh, yeah, you, all is well. Yeah, you had a lot of clients down there. We haven't even asked you to discuss who you were representing down there, <laughs> Edward. And we, we probably won't. All right, Patricia, let's, let's go right to uh, the, that topic, what happened and didn't happen in the final hours, particularly of the session. You filed a terrific 
a column the other day in which you compared the way in which the session and debates over legislation ended uh, to the tradition of throwing scraps of paper up in the air, papering the uh, uh, the chamber of the House with scraps of paper as uh, an example of the mess, both the physical mess of the paper and the final hours of the session. You say there were like 50 bills passed in how much time in the session that last day? Well, there were 50 in each chamber, respectively, 60 and 50 votes cast, lots of bills passed, um, 20 bills taken up in the last two hours of the session. And this is after a session where lawmakers had very little to do for the, about the first at least three to four weeks. There were committee hearings going on, but just this very strange calm and quiet ahead of this absolute storm. And um, it just really looking at the aftermath of the um, the agenda, as well as the physical floor of the House and Senate, you just I was just like, what a mess, you know, things didn't pass that should have things might have passed that we have no idea. Um, it just uh, the the House and Senate were not on the same page on some really important issues. The governor weighed in late on problems with the budget, but it was the 40th day, so it had to get passed. So it was just a really strange session. There's new leadership in the House and Senate. And um, I think we are st- I really am still processing, to be honest with you. Well, let's let's get right to some of the uh, issues. I just talked about the mental health uh, bill. And um, Mary Margaret, uh, uh, let's talk about the politics of it uh, for just a moment. Uh, as Patricia pointed out in her column, the session got off to an interesting start in which the new lieutenant governor, pre- who acts as president of the Senate, and the new speaker, John Burns, um, seemed to be working together rather amicably. They, for the first time, set the entire schedule for the 40 days, which is unheard of in the past, and things got off to a pretty good start. But when it came to the mental health bill, uh, that bill that you were one of the co-sponsors of, um, it got caught up in pure, uh, I think, in pure politics. Burt Jones had his own agenda around uh, 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 certificates of need and seem to be holding the mental health bill as one of the hostages. Is that a fair statement? Very fair, very accurate statement. Uh, Pure politics is the term I've used. The idea that Lieutenant Governor, brand new Lieutenant Governor, never would say on any time I heard any expression that he had an interest in helping people who are in families or in mental health crisis. I never heard anything like that. He came forward very directly and said, uh, CON, Senate Bill 99 has to pass or mental health will not pass. And that became true, even though he denied, he said during the four or five days before day four, He said, well, you know, I I understand it's not going to pass this year, but into through the weekend and day 39 and day 40, he was saying only C-O-N, C-O-N, C-O-N. The effort to move forward and Georgia was at the bottom of per capita spending on mental health services has been a real front burner issue for many of the leaders of the House and Senate for two years. And the appointment of Kevin 
Tanner to be the commissioner of the Department of Behavioral Health uh, in conjunction with his important role as chair of the Behavioral Health Commission as really with, of course, not uh, the least of which, most significant of which, David Ralston's leadership, made it a front burner issue. Members of the General Assembly know, they can't deny it, they know that families are in crisis across the state and that we have to do better. So that momentum was very much stopped, stopped by the lieutenant governor alone by himself. And my curiosity, uh, and y'all can tell me what your response to this is, is he accountable in any way for that kind of tough guy, new sheriff in town, I'm in charge kind of approach to something that people cared about? I just can't figure well, out where the accountability is. Mary Margaret, I do want to bring everybody in. Before I do, though, just very give us a few bullet points. What didn't get what did you want to see that this year's bill would address this most significant thing? I chaired the workforce subcommittee and of the Behavioral Health Commission for the last year. We expanded the loan forgiveness program significantly for professionals out there uh, doing work in underserved area of Georgia. That is now gone. We had a major uh, detailed set of hearings and 25 plus recommendations to the licensing boards under uh, the Secretary of State for the mental health service providers. We were really helping uh, those get their license more efficiently in the modern world where you don't fill out a form and mail in a check. We also had set up a new program for mental health professionals, uh, a different path for discipline so that they could keep their license and keep working if they were struggling with some substance abuse issue. We also had a major set of issues. This was significant to me for law enforcement, for our judicial system, mm -hmm. for those uh, homeless, it, the, the triangle of homeless jail and ER, that cycle of where tens of thousands of Georgians are on the street one afternoon, obviously in a mental health crisis, and then go to the ER and then go to jail. Uh, Justice Boggs of the Supreme Court has been a national leader on what we call the familiar faces. He had teed up the legislation to bring in federal money and federal leadership. So we're very disappointed. Disappointed is too soft a word, by the way. Uh Edward, um, when Mary Margaret talks about the law enforcement aspect of this, it reminds us that last year when uh, then-Speaker Ralston uh, championed the mental health reforms, uh, one of his main reasons for it was he talked about the fact that law enforcement up in his community, up in Blue Ridge, in his district, had told him they needed help with this very problem, Edward. And 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 they do, and uh, you know, and uh, your plaudits to to Mary Margaret for championing this issue uh, on the Democratic side. And as she mentioned, this was also a matter of high priority uh, for uh, David Ralston uh, when he was Speaker. It's also a high priority. I want to make sure folks understand for the new Speaker, uh, John Burns, and and the House yes. Republican leadership. This is not a partisan issue. Um, and, you know, law enforcement needs help in dealing with this issue, as well as social services, as well as every family, as Mayor Margaret sort of touched on. Uh, I, I dare say there's not a family in Georgia that doesn't have uh, some, uh, is somehow impacted by, by the mental health uh, crisis in our state and doesn't have to deal with uh, it on a very personal level. So 
this is time for uh, those of us who are advocates for it to re redouble our efforts and, and make sure that it passes swiftly next year. Uh, and the lieutenant governor uh, needs to be stepping forward to do so. The fact of the matter is when you're in leadership, I, I, I like to say, you get uh, half the credit for stuff that passes and 100% of the blame for stuff that doesn't. And it's time <laughs> for the lieutenant governor, and I certainly hope he does, um, you know, step up and make sure that this gets passed next year. Uh, Kendra, uh, the context for all of this, of course, is that for many decades, Georgia has been near the bottom in providing uh, uh, solid, strong mental health resources for the people of the state. Do I have you there, Kendra? Opportunity. Yes, can you hear me now? Yep. This was a missed opportunity uh, to pay homage to Speaker Ralston and his legacy, number one. Um, and then I think also when we look at what everyone has said, I think in our state, we're in a crisis mode. There's not anywhere you can go where you're not where you're seeing people who are impacted uh, by mental health in our state. And what what I would say paltry leadership, um, this particular uh, session, one of my mentors says this, when you become a leader, you give up the right to think about yourself. And for me, I think that in redoubling the efforts, we have to think about all of the citizens who will benefit of this, especially coming off the tragedy in Nashville last week. Patricia, um, the, the I think you probably heard some of the same things in a back channel way that I did from those close to the governor, uh, who on a number of occasions would say uh, quietly, I don't think Burke Jones recognizes he's the lieutenant governor, not the governor. Um, I don't know uh, 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 to what extent uh, he was feeling more powerful uh, than maybe he really needed to during the session. But certainly there is a learning curve for him in terms of how he exercises what power he has. I think he knows what power he has. I just don't think he has used it in this case effectively because neither mm. the bill he wanted nor the bills that he held hostage passed. And so that delayed all of those by a year. It also made many enemies on the House side that were just not necessary because, again, that the bill he wanted didn't pass um, because it had some serious problems with it. So there was a there were major policy problems with his bill, including a conflict of interest with his own family's efforts to build a hospital that could not get a certificate of need. Uh, they knew they had a problem with that. So an effort was made to just eliminate the entire program. Um, that's not a policy choice that people were broadly comfortable with. And so it that needed more discussion. This healthcare piece has been debated Um the mental health in particular, and it includes addiction issues, by the way, which is kind of a very progressive stance, I think, for the, the state of Georgia to be taking. Um, this has been debated for years, and the infrastructure has been built. It's a multi-year effort. And um, at the end of the session, the uh, lieutenant governor and members of the state Senate said, well, um, you know, it's a two-year process, so nobody worry, it's a two-year process. Well, that does not help people whose families are in crisis. A year, a year later is going to be too late for some people. And I think that is what we were hearing from mental health advocates, why they were just so devastated at this. Um, and the last piece of politics I'll say is that in terms of the power that Lieutenant Governor has, 
While the speaker is elected by members of the chamber, the lieutenant governor is not. He is the lieutenant governor um, and uh, has has powers associated with that just by by virtue of the fact that he was elected statewide. And so the power that he accrues is a little bit different and the need to have his members completely beholden to him or or supportive of him is also a little bit different. But I'd be interested in what um, Representative Oliver has to say also on the on the matter. Mary Margaret. Just to say there's always next year is is a cop out. Um, I, I'm, I'm being a little harsh, but it's a cop out. I am aware of the leadership of, of Kevin Tanner and Grant Thomas and some others that have used the platform of the uh, Behavioral Health Commission to make management changes without legislation. I'm very aware that progress is being made in this interim, but it's a cop out to say there's always two years because there were things that could have been started moving ahead. The way in which Georgia had teed up this reform effort for national support, national money, national foundation, uh, we can't afford to wait a year or six months. And it, it's just fascinating to me that members of the General Assembly know better. They know better. And John Burns did everything I could have asked him to do to lift this issue up for the House. He always said it was a priority, and I am just, uh, I'm really still surprised that it did pass. And again, where's the accountability? Um, Edward, let's move on to another issue that seems to have been caught up also in the same issue of politics, the uh, desire of the lieutenant governor to pass his certificate of need uh, uh, measure. And and that's uh, we know that when he was working on that issue before it became clear it wasn't going anywhere. uh, Sonny Perdue, the chancellor of the University System of Georgia, and of course, former uh, governor, came out against. Uh, his certificate of need uh, bill for complicated reasons that uh, have to do with Wellstar. We won't go into that part of it right now. But the fact of the matter is the Senate took a substantial, uh, uh, made a substantial cut in the University of System Georgia budget, $66 million. Some think it was retribution to for the the, uh, uh, the chancellor speaking out against certificate of need, but um, last week, and then I'll, I'll let you all weigh in, starting with you, Edward. Um, at the end of the week, um, our uh, all things considered correspondent Orlando Montoya interviewed Sonny Purdue about it, and here's just one of the things he had to say: It's disappointing uh, because for 30 years, really since Dell Miller brought the Hope Scholarship to Georgia. Uh, the General Assembly has invested in higher education whenever they've had the money. While I was governor, we didn't have money, but we tried to spare the uh, the university system as much as possible uh, relative to other agencies. And the sad part is, is that uh, uh, we've always invested in higher education in Georgia. That's a reputation Georgia has. Edward? Well, you know, uh, first off, regarding CON, uh, if you want to devote a week uh, to, to to an issue, uh, uh, you might get folks to understand some of the complexities of CON, <laughs> uh, which is basically a system that's set up to uh, to try to make sure that we spread out uh, statewide uh, whatever uh, capital resources are available 
to uh, health care and, and make sure that uh, the money is being spent as wisely as possible. So as a result, the state uh, can dictate whether or not a particular hospital or particular facility can be built in, in position A, given what else is around there. Um, so that's, you know, a, a 30 second attempt to, to explain that. The, on the politics side, uh, Sonny Perdue uh, is 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 right. Is that uh, you know we we we've taken higher education in Georgia on a bipartisan level to a new level over the last thirty years, uh, beginning with Zell Miller's efforts, uh, you know, and, and you know the Hope Scholarship and everything else, uh, and you know that's progress that we want to continue to make. Um, you know, a, a lot of the reasoning that was given for those cuts as well, some other cuts in some other areas was a concern by the state Senate uh, in particular uh, through, throughout the budget process who was worried about a downturn in the economy. Um, but uh, but it is a, a move uh, that that was regrettable and that, um, you know, uh, is something that that hopefully we can reverse in the supplemental budget coming up in, in January, which gives the uh, legislature a chance to to fix anything that may wrong. And keep in mind, the governor himself admitted, stated that there were holes in this budget and those holes will have to be yeah. filled in the supplemental in January. Kendra, Absolutely. you're in a private institution. You're in a private institution, but you clearly understand what your public university counterparts must be going through. Oh, yeah, this is painful. I mean, it, it is absolutely painful. It is political. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, we're looking at two pieces of legislation, this and then the um, the mental health bill that, that were not supported this year. And so if we're going to be about people in our state, I think we have to correct some of these wrongs. Yes, there is a surplus. And yes, we can correct this. But what about all of those uh, high schoolers who will apply to the state system and are applying now and looking at their financial aid packages? Some of these uh, students are, are not going to be able to even afford state institutions. So for me, mm. I, I think that we have a crisis of priority right now. And I'm, I'm hoping that we will hold people accountable going back to what uh, Mary Margaret asked. Uh, there has to be some accountability um, when we go to vote. Um, Patricia, let's address this from the point of view that uh, Edward just uh, mentioned, and then then you can add whatever else you want to it. Governor Kemp did say at the end of the session, uh, there are holes in this budget uh, that need to be addressed. And I would imagine, I, I don't think, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, he specifically spoke about the USG uh, funding, but uh, clearly that was probably one of the things he had in mind. Yes, that was definitely one of the things he had in mind, but you're right, he did not say specifically which holes he was talking about. This was the most um, visible because it was a very large cut and it was uh, uh, enacted by um, the state Senate. The state House had a, it's a specific budget line, $105 million for a new records keeping system at the uh, Medical College College of Georgia. Um, the Senate uh, caught that by $105 million. The agreed upon compromise was $66 million. But there was a lengthy debate in the state Senate about mm. um, how are we funding the university system? Why can the university system enter into contracts without the approval of the state legislature? I think that gets specifically to the Wellstar Agreement with um, Augusta Medical Center. That is a partnership that's coming up. Um, and there was significant concern inside the governor's office and by Sonny Perdue that if that money had been zeroed out, uh, the $105 million cut, um, that Wellstar would have 
potentially withdrawn from that agreement with um, Augusta uh, University Center. So I I just don't think we've heard the end of this. <laughs> it seems to me like uh, the state Senate was laying the groundwork for much longer conversations. And if you're Sonny Purdue in a budget surplus year and you're getting a haircut to your university system, Th those are very dark clouds on the horizon. That's something that you've got to deal with because when the budgets are not as plentiful, um, he could be looking at some some serious problems. Mary Margaret, I was I was very pleased to see uh, Chancellor Purdue take a very affirmative stance. Said this hurts. This is bad. This is going to hurt us. Uh, you know, the politics of an independent regent system are play out in every state in a variety of different ways. And Georgia has been, I think, fortunate and looking forward has been a forward looking. Our investment in higher ed is huge for the state of Georgia. And the, I represent a private institution myself, obviously, Emory. But the alliances between Emory and tech have all been based on new advancements. Uh, the bioengineering school of the combination of tech and Emory's like number two in the nation, just based on these kind of investments, Research Alliance. I'm glad Sonny Purdue is there. I'm glad he's speaking out. And the politics of Wellstar would take another week to discuss, but it is a big <laughs> deal, a very big deal that Wellstar, Wellstar is going to invest $800 million into the university hospital system over the next 10 years. That's a big deal. So Georgia putting down $105 million for the record keeping, the, the patient, the computer technology to deal with patient records, looked like a good investment to me. Patricia, finish us up on this subject before we have to take a break. Uh, yeah, one piece of good news that came out of the General Assembly in education was that the HOPE scholarship has been returned to 100% um, coverage by state dollars. And for all of the hand-wringing about this line item, and it tells you it really does have a lot to do with, um, with Augusta and Wellstar, that that piece is what people were talking about. The HOPE scholarship funding to 100% has been a goal of um, Democrats and many Republicans for mm -hmm. a long time. It had been reduced to 90%, and that's just that's going to be huge for Georgia students going forward. So a couple quick things before we break. Number one, again, there's a lot of complications. We have talked about this in the past, but just to put it in context today, one of the issues about um, uh, in the state Senate around the lieutenant governor and Wellstar is that um, he believed that the Wellstar Hospital uh, in near Jackson, where his family owns the property that perhaps would have been used to build a new hospital if certificate needs of need had been overturned, uh, it he was uh, certainly not happy that Wellstar uh, fought him on that. So that's the context of all that. One last thing, I think I'm right, uh, Mary Margaret. Just other another piece of good news that I didn't know about until this morning. Apparently, a measure to put some six plus million dollars into free uh, meals, breakfasts, and lunches for children in our public schools actually passed. And Mary Margaret, it's a drop in the bucket. But if we talk about serving the people, Mary Margaret, that's a wonderful uh, thing to have passed. 
it's a wonderful thing to have passed. It came out of the complications of the new COVID money. And uh, Amani Barnes, a freshman from uh, DeKalb County, a Democrat freshman from DeKalb County, who's a scientist with Emory for the last 15 years, uh, was the one that started highlighting that issue. So it was a good example of a freshman Democrat participating, raising a good idea, and doing a win-win for Georgia's children. Okay, we got to get to our first break. Back with uh, more on today's Political Rewind in a moment. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Kendra King, Mammon, Edward Lindsay, Mary Margaret Oliver, Patricia Murphy joined me. Before I get back to the discussion, a point of personal privilege. I said it's the first show of April. This is also a very special day for me. It is the 34th anniversary of the day that my son's mother and I experienced the miracle of childbirth when our son <laughs> Bill was born. And I just can't help but thinking with a big grin on my face about how happy I am that that happened. And he's a wonderful kid. All right, let's move on. Um, So Patricia, one last item, and we don't have to dwell on it for too long, but there are people who feel that the um, legislature this session uh, continued to go down the road of looking for opportunities to take local control away from counties, municipalities, and the like. And they're probably the most dramatic example of that, of course, um, is the measure they passed to set up an oversight uh, commission of sorts to uh, uh, evaluate district attorneys and go as far as removing them uh, from office if uh, this uh, panel finds that they are not fulfilling their responsibilities. But there are a number of other uh, similar uh, other measures in which local control has gone over to the state. Yes, all kinds of measures. Um, our Mark Nisi wrote a lengthy list of all of the ways that he said the General Assembly has found <clears throat> new ways to control you. Um, and particularly to control um, localities. And we do hear, particularly from Republicans, how much they believe in local control, but you boil that down and they believe in local control until they don't agree with how the locals are controlling and um, then step in. And um, it may not be simply a Republican issue. It seems to be the state legislature is ready to take power when they um, believe they would make better decisions with that power. Um, but the local prosecutor piece in particular, extremely controversial. Um, that met all kinds of headwinds, um, but it did pass. And that is going to give this uh, state oversight commission that will be appointed by all Republicans. It will be appointed by the governor, the House Speaker, and the um, state Senate. And so you can imagine that those would be mostly conservative appointees to that commission. And they'll be overseeing this uh, new crop of 
DAs locally elected in their own communities, um, and many of whom are progressive, many of whom are women of color, newly elected in 2020. Um, Fannie Willis had a whole lot to say about that. She said specifically she thinks this bill is racist. Um, it's designed to uh, to uh, take away power from progressive DAs who were elected because of the way they are enforcing laws, not despite the way they're enforcing laws. But um, Republicans definitely had the votes on this on this one. Kendra, uh, Mark Nisi highlighted, uh, especially a couple others, uh, make cities enforce ordinances against sleeping on or obstructing sidewalks in, in pushing localities that want to deal with homelessness in their own way, uh, saying, no, we have oversight over that. And then there's one, Kendra, that got so much attention, strangely enough, I think, uh, it's a ba- it bans cities from banning gla- uh, gas leaf blowers uh, and gas stoves. Uh, one, I assume, not just because of the emissions uh, in terms of leaf blowers, but also the noise. And of course, there's this whole uh, notion that gas stoves are also detrimental to the environment, which they may be, but the state wants control over that. Bill, make it make sense. Make it make sense. With all of the missed opportunities we had this legislative session, uh, the things we did decide to uh, spend time voting, even even the hallway uh, amendment, right? Um, I, I just, again, make it make sense. I, I think that some of these things are so minute um, that, that it takes away even just local thought space. And so I'm hoping that we can come up a little bit higher next legislative session um, and that will hold people to the fire to pass policy that really matters for the state of Georgia. Thank you, Edward and Mary Margaret. I like my gas stove. I, I really do, and anything they do, I to do too. My gas stove. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm just very grateful for that. Uh, and you know, it, it is. But you know, you, your point is, is that you know the legislature sometimes has to look at crises and go, okay, this is some time for us to step in. And the fact of the matter is that on many different levels, uh, we have seen, for instance, on the more serious issue dealing with crime issues, we're seeing an uptick in crime. Uh, around around the country and Georgia, like a lot of other legislatures, are trying to figure out ways to to grapple with that. You know the 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 oversight that we're now seeing with prosecutors. We'll see how that plays out. Keep in mind that we already have oversight, for instance, on uh, locally elected judges uh, through the JQC uh, that that also exists. We also passed tougher measures dealing with um, gang violence, which is a, a huge problem in my area of Atlanta. So, we'll, we'll, you know, in addition to the to the very serious issue dealing with the protecting my gas stove. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, as Ed knows, there are 400 plus judges in the state of Georgia. Yeah. Uh, half of them are not lawyers. So the the JQC has a relevant has a relevant role. And I applaud that of their work. There are only 43 district attorneys in the state of Georgia, and they have uh, developed, uh, they're creating a new commission that will cost several hundred thousand dollars, and they're going to focus on the women in the metro areas. And that's that's really appalling to me. the irritation over the leaf blower bill was really uh, extreme for my constituents. There is no city in, the, in Georgia, no county in Georgia that has, quote, banned leaf blowers, close quote, gas powered leaf blowers. The fact that it was even mentioned in a couple of places like the city of Decatur, um, 
created an opportunity for one lobbyist to create a whole business for himself for the landscaping industry. It was just kind of a very irritating bill, had no substance, didn't do anything, yet irritated my constituents. You know, when a rural legislator says, well, we have big lawns out in the country. I don't know what you're talking about. That's that's a little bit insulting to uh, those of us that live inside the perimeter where leaf blowers are kind of loud and irritating to people. <laughs> Patricia, just closes off on this subject. Yeah, well, you know, so what you just marvel at on day 39 and 40 at the legislature are priorities. What are the priorities? What's getting floor time for debate? What's not? The leaf blower got a significant amount of time for debate on day 40, <laughs> which was crazy because no matter how you feel about leaf blowers, it doesn't deserve time on day 40. It's not important. It's just not important enough. Um, they were not debating, as many Democrats pointed out, any gun safety legislation. They were not debating Medicaid um, expansion. Those are debates that aren't don't even get oxygen for conversations, um, let alone votes on the floor. And I just, I do think that you just have, you look at the time as the priorities and, and that's what it was on day 40. And I, I have Last to mention comment, something that didn't, yeah, didn't get any attention at times. Number one priority for the environmental crowd, Okefenokee, protect, protection of Okefenokee from mm. mining had 91 sponsors and got no hearing. 91 sponsors, obviously bipartisan, no hearing, couldn't even pass a study committee of Okefenokee. So the priorities for mining for Okefenokee truck weights for loggers and and yet leaf blowers was the most irritating issue that came before me this entire session well they do like to say that george is the number one state for doing business mary margaret <laughs> uh ed Lindsay, if you don't mind uh you're I don't even know how to describe you as a Republican uh, these days, where you fit into the picture of who are Republicans who aren't these days. But you have been the Republican on this panel for quite a long time. So before we take a break, just briefly, I'd love to get your thoughts on the fact that yesterday, Asa Hutchinson, former governor of Arkansas, we can I can see Ed because we see each other on uh, Zoom and he's pounding his head against the desk. He doesn't want to talk about this. Asa Hutchinson announced he's running for president. He's an anti-Trumper. Um, he is not a moderate. He's a very conservative uh, politician. He opposes abortion um, with very few restrictions, for example. Uh, Edward, is there really a lane for an anti-Trump Republican to get anywhere in the uh, Republican nominating process? Well, we'll have to see. Um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that there are a, a, a lot of uh, Republicans uh, who are looking at the race, who have entered the race, you know, from Ron DeSantis to Nikki Haley to Tim Scott, to Mike Pompeo, to Chris Christie, and now Asa Hutchinson. Um, you know, in terms of my credentials, I like to tell people that I was a Republican when Donald Trump was a Democrat giving money to uh, <laughs> to uh, the Clinton family. Uh, so I, I think I have certain credentials here. Um, and, you know, I certainly hope so, because the fact of the matter is, while uh, former President Trump is the leading candidate in the Republican field right now, according to all the polls, he is the weakest candidate uh, to face uh, 
President Biden in November, according to the polls that I've seen. And so uh, uh, I, I do think it's time for us to move on and start looking at someone else uh, in terms of who should lead us uh, in 2024. Kendra, I got to go to a break. But one one uh, observation I'd like you to respond to, all of the other people who uh, Edward mentioned who are legitimately either in, like a Nikki Haley or considering it, none of them has been critical of Donald Trump. Hutchinson is the one who has, in fact, been fairly clear that he does not uh, like Donald Trump and what he's done uh, when he was in the White House and even now. Yeah, I I think that Hutchinson doesn't have anything to risk criticizing uh, Trump right now. All the other candidates run the risk of alienating um, a portion of the base. And so for Hutchinson, he's such an outlier. He can speak his mind um, and still not necessarily gain any pro-Trump votes. So I think that's what you're seeing going on, whereas everyone else has to be strategic right now. They need uh, the Republican base and and the broader outliers. All right. Um, Thank you for those final comments in this segment, uh, Kendra. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, I really do want to hear what the panel has to say. About 60 minutes, devoting about 14 minutes yesterday to a conversation with Marjorie Taylor Greene. We'll do that after these messages. I want to start this segment by making just one comment. Um, A long time ago, we decided on Political Rewind that we did not want to invite on the show uh, people who would express extremist views or uh, Tell, make up stories about fake elections um, and uh, stealing of elections and the like. We just don't need those people on the program. Um, and, and we made that decision quite a while ago. That said, we should also say, Patricia Murphy, there we can stipulate that Leslie Stahl is an iconic journalist, a veteran who has done extraordinary reporting for many, many years. And 60 Minutes, the other stipulation has been one of the most important in-depth news programs in the history of television. All that said, what was Marjorie Taylor Greene on their show for yesterday? Do you have a personal reaction to it? Do you want to talk about it as a journalist? I mean, just talk about it as you need to or want to. Oh, yeah, sure. So I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, I think that it is important for people to hear Marjorie Taylor Greene from time to time. They don't need to read her Twitter feed. They don't need to have her opinions presented without context. Um, But Marjorie Taylor Greene is one of the most important Republicans in the House GOP caucus right now. She, by aligning herself with Kevin McCarthy, has won high profile roles on these committees. And she has a direct line to McCarthy to influence his decisions, to influence the caucus. Um, and she is presented as essentially the number two to Donald Trump at his events all around the country. She typically travels um, and goes to hit nearly all of his events. She's She introduces him occasionally. She's always um, on the stage. She gets applause almost as loud or louder than he does. So I think that uh, Democrats who were very critical of 60 Minutes for giving her a platform. She has a platform, no matter what 60 Minutes does or not. Um, If I were 60 Minutes, I would have put a lot more context around her accusations about 
Joe Biden and the Democrats and her just um, really offensive rhetoric about them you and push back harder and say, but you said this specifically on this date, it, you know, and just sort of present the contradictions that she was ignoring. But I don't think you can ignore Marjorie Taylor Greene anymore because she is here and has significant influence on the power structure of our, of our country now. Let, let, let me go around. Mary Margaret. Uh, she called Democrats pedophiles, and she stood up for that, and she repeated that. Uh, Leslie Stahl tried to get her to, uh, you know, confirm or deny other things, and she waffled. But on the issue of pedophilia, she stood up very uh, straight-backed and said, Democrats are pedophiles. I uh, am appalled, <laughs> obviously. Um, I think she's a, a, a circus performer, a performer. She'll be performing tomorrow, demonstrating on the streets what she says she's going to be doing in front of the courthouse when uh, Donald Trump is in, uh, presents himself before a judge pursuant to the indictment that's been issued. Uh, I think it's really, tr from my perspective, personal perspective, it's tragic for Georgia. Georgia is an important, high-profile political state and from my perspective, it's tragic that she's the face, at least on 60 Minutes yesterday. Kendra? What a way to start Holy Week. It's more like hot mess week uh, <laughs> when you really look at um, giving someone this platform. Um, but here's the thing. Um, all, all jokes aside, uh, I, I think, you know, Marjorie is almost like a modern day Sarah Palin, right? So she's she's rabble rousing in some respect um, uh, the opinions of people. And she says things that uh, some wouldn't utter privately, let alone publicly. And so she does have a platform, uh, as Patricia said, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And for me, I'm watching the trajectory of what she and Donald Trump will do um, if he's able to outrun this indictment. Um, because again, I, I think their partnering um, is, is really symbolic, but it could turn into something substantive as we enter into this election year. So Patricia, let me come back to you for a minute and, and throw something out at you. Um, I, I think that your point that Marjorie Taylor Greene has in fact become important in the Republican Party as a voice of the party right now is is accurate and there is a way in which you can say we we should be seeing her interviewed um so we can get a sense of who she is uh, at the same time you were very polite in the way that you referred to leslie Stahl's interview leslie Stahl, i for whatever reason because she has been very tough in interviewing many people over her career but for whatever reason, she seemed to be more interested in somehow coming to some understanding with Marjorie Taylor Greene about common ground that they will never share. And I must say, as somebody who's interviewed a lot of political leaders over the years, the minute someone calls a Democrat or anybody a pedophile, that's the end of the interview. I, I mean, at that <laughs> moment, I say there's no reason to continue this conversation. And I thought it was strange that there was not more of a pushback on Leslie Stahl's uh, end. So it becomes a complicated issue, Patricia. Yeah, I mean, Leslie Stahl even repeated it. She said, but pedophiles? And she said, yes. She's like, okay, you know, no, you, no, he's, Joe Biden is not a pedophile. 
He's not. Um, and it's dangerous. It uh, That has led to all kinds of death threats against people in Washington with, with just peripheral connection, literally to a pizza shop. I mean, this is a conspiracy as old as this fringe element of the Republican Party. Um, but again, uh, it's important to know that that is who is Kev in Kevin McCarthy's inner circle. And Kevin McCarthy also needs to be held to account for that. This is who people are voting for. Um, and she's got a very large audience and a following, and it's important to understand why that is as well. Edward? You know, I, I found it interesting when I saw that the interview went 14 minutes, and I couldn't help but think about Andy Warhol's uh, comment that it, in the future, <laughs> everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. She fell one minute short. Um, and, you know, I, I'm also disturbed by, by a lot of maybe, um, uh, MTG's uh, commentary, particularly the, you know, some of the more um, inflammatory arguments when, when you know, you, you move people from simply a political opponent to some type of enemy of the state. That's, that's, that's dangerous rhetoric. Um, I'm also disturbed that, that we're spending so much time on folks like Mary, um, uh, MTG, uh, the fact of the matter is, in, in politics, as Mary Margaret and I know from having been on the inside, uh, you have performers versus producers. And unfortunately, nowadays, we seem to be spending far more time uh, giving performers platforms than we do producers. And by producers, I'm talking about the folks who get their hands dirty and actually try to move the ball uh, forward. And um, and that's something that, that all of us uh, need to be trying to concentrate on the future is is trying to highlight the producers in our society the folks who are actually trying to move the ball all right we are we've only got about three minutes left but i want to do a quick go around on on one more subject um and uh patricia i'll start with you there there was a piece this morning i frankly don't remember it was wall street journal washington post new york times saying that there are now concerns that the new york case against donald trump because some people feel it is the weakest link compared to the Fannie Willis case here, the Justice Department case, that it could in the long run degrade in the public's eyes the value, the meaning of the cases like Fulton County, which in many ways have much higher stakes. What do you think about that? I'm going to go around and give each person like 30 seconds on that. I think we need more information about the New York case. We don't know what the president will be charged with. There could be a lot more there than we know. We just don't know. Um, I think with each of these cases, they just need to be evaluated on the facts. And right now, we don't have a lot of facts. Kendra? Yeah, I agree. And I, I agree. And I think what Ed said in terms of performers versus producers, right? I think New York jumped, jumped the gun um, because I think they wanted to celebritize some of this. Interesting. Mary Margaret? It's uh, the 34 count indictment will be revealed in details tomorrow and we'll know more, as Patricia says. Uh, the national play out of this complicated le multiple legal cases, is it going to have an impact on the voters? I can't know that yet. Edward, you get the last Well, last I want to add actually one more case in there the, and, and drop this down to number four, and that's the civil case uh, that's now pending in the um, New York courts. Uh, the, the allegations of, of a possible rape uh, out, uh, against Donald Trump that, that a woman has brought. Uh, so, you know, uh, it all gets back to on the political side, you know, Republicans got to need to ask themselves, OK, even those who are diehard Trump folks, do you really want to follow this man 
uh, down the path of almost certain defeat because these loss, these cases are going to hurt him with the broader base? Or do you want to follow some of the other folks right. that we've mentioned here? Edward Lindsay, Kendra King, uh, Mom and Representative Mary Margaret Oliver, and Patricia Murphy, thanks for getting us up to such a great start on this very busy week in political news. We're back again tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care, stay healthy, and please be kind to one another. Bye, everybody.